0: Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. Ryan Stern was doing influencer marketing before influencers were a thing. With roots in the food blogging world, Stern began connecting bloggers with brands in the aughts, She launched her agency Collectively in 2013 when Instagram was a new photo sharing app capturing the attention of millennials everywhere. In 2020, Collectively was acquired by the Brand Tech Group. Fast forward 11 years and Collectively is a pure play influencer marketing AOR for brands such as Sephora, HP and EOS products. As the space becomes more complex and integral to marketers' communication plans, and as influencers have evolved into creators, the agency helps its clients navigate the still wild west of this increasingly important slice of the market. In this episode, Stern shares Collectively's origin story, dives into how the influencer space has shifted in the past decade, and shares her predictions for 2024. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, Editor-in-Chief of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Allison? I am good. This is actually uh, my first podcast of the new year, so I am dusting off the cobwebs, and (laughs) I apologize if that is noticeable to the listener. (laughs) It's also my first podcast of the new year, so we're in it together. (laughs) Perfect. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to chat with you today because... Influencer marketing, creator marketing is something that just continues to grow and I'm sure will continue to do so in 2024. So tell me a little bit about collectively. Um, Tell me the origin story and why you decided to start this company.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, you know, we started the agency in 2013 before influencer marketing really was the household name or the marketing channel that it was today. Um, but the origin story goes a little further back. Actually, I've been working in influence marketing and and developing programs that were really mostly bringing bloggers together with brands before even we started collectively the agency. Um, and I'll in the kind of ad network side is where it all started, where bloggers and YouTubers joined up with these ad networks. And banner advertising was the primary way they were monetizing. And what my co-founder and I were doing at these companies was designing these special programs where we would get our bloggers or YouTubers to do custom content as part of a special add-on to a media buy. And Right before we started collectively, we noticed a few things happening in the space. We saw that advertisers were more interested in the custom content than they were the media. Programmatic was making media way more affordable and efficient. And bloggers and YouTubers were not monetizing in the same way. So their monetization channels were changing. And then a company called Pinterest had emerged. And a little platform called Instagram hit the scene and All of a sudden, our creators were creating in a lot of different ways and looking for monetizing across all of their different channels. Um, And so we saw that happening and thought to ourselves, well, we know a lot about influencer marketing. Our clients are coming to us from a media buying perspective and asking us about this and asking like well, should we also be activating on Instagram or who are some emerging Pinterest creators that we should be working with? And so we saw an opportunity to bring a service to the market that didn't exist, which was an influencer marketing agency. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the time that was really novel and we sort of, went for it and said, we're going to try this. We know this really well. Let's see if we can get a few clients. And within a month of launching the agency on LinkedIn and sending to our personal networks, we had three major clients, um, Ford, Bare Minerals, and a handful of PR companies that were coming to us and saying, "Like, we need help doing this. Our clients are asking for this. And we aren't set up as an agency to service this type of demand. Um, and from there, it was really off to the races. And we continued to grow um, the agency over the last decade. We're coming up on 11 years this summer and continuing to really be a single focused agency on bringing the best influencer marketing to our client community and helping them navigate a space that is constantly changing.
0: Yeah. So you were really in it from the beginning. Talk about what it was like back then. Like how were the deals cut? Like what what was like different (laughs) about, obviously it's ballooned into this like whole billions of dollars industry, but what was it like in the early days?
1: Yeah. In the early days, I mean, in the very early days, it was, it was really fun in the sense that everyone was experimenting and it was novel that an individual, just a kind of a regular ordinary person could have a direct relationship and a partnership with a brand, whether that was product, your favorite product being sent and you're incorporating it into recipes or you're getting to join, um, you know, a fashion brand at New York fashion week and covering things for them, um, on your fashion channel or your blog. That was really exciting. And I think it really was the early indicator that many of us can have influence. And that was new. That was a shift before influence was really relegated to traditional editorial, to the celebrity and entertainment space. And social media allowed anyone who has a really strong point of view um, and a healthy appetite for a side hustle to build an audience and actually to create a property and to monetize their creativity in, in a new way. And so I think that was... A really interesting start to what has become influencer marketing as it is today. And I think the deals were all over the place. Mm-hmm. When we think about relationships, um, I think we always think about a value exchange. And so early on in, in influencer marketing, a lot of relationships were, again, monetizing through even media, not even pay for post. And there was a lot of um, posting that was happening without. A direct compensation, that's completely changed. Now, um, you know, most influencers aren't making money off of the media side of this business. They're really making their primary um, income through direct content relationships and, and paid
0: posts. There is still a lot of inconsistency though, right? In terms of like how influencers get paid.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, there's inconsistency across rates, across the type of ask. Is you know brands are asking for very different things from different influencers, and depending on the size of your audience, the health of your audience if brands are also licensing your content, there's a lot of variety. And so one of the things that collectively really does is helps our clients navigate that complexity um, and bring a little bit of consistency, whether that's um, to an individual campaign level or even at the enterprise level, working with larger corporations to help bring consistency across multiple brand influencer marketing strategies that they're setting up and executing against.
0: Yeah, it's complexity is good for agencies. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So as the influencer industry has grown up. Talk about how Collectively has grown up and changed during those past 11 or so years.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I talked to our our team at Collectively a lot about this, but in the first couple years of Collectively, we really supported a lot of PR agencies. And that was really how we gained a reputation, how we defined some of our operations, how we were running tools and technology to support the work that we scale. We always knew and had ambitions to be Brand direct and to manage our own clients. Um, but we were starting out. And so I think what's changed the most is over the last 11 years from that time, really understanding and kind of building up the way the company operates, we've scaled tremendously. And we now are 100% working brand direct. We work with several brands within ecosystems and, and corporations. And we're essentially have gone from working again in more of an agency support capacity to really being an influencer AOR. And I would say that's the biggest transformation that we've seen. And we always had that ambition, but we knew that we had to build that up over time. Um, And I'm really proud of where we've landed in terms of being the lead influencer strategy and executional partner for several brands um, that we get to work with for multiple years, which is exciting because it's a relationship that we're bringing together between brand and creator. And so we don't want to be doing one-off programs. We don't think of the work we do as transactional or short, short-term. short It's really long-term work. And so that AOR position and really seeing the long game and what we can do in the immediate with our clients has been really rewarding.
0: Yeah, I think it also shows that brands are starting to think of this as something they need an AOR for, right? Like it sort of started off as these one-off programs, but now it's yeah. really like an always-on thing. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There was no, no concept of an influencer AOR 10 years ago. Mm -mm. Um, So we think of ourselves as really defining that category of agency and really setting, really leading the market in that effort.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. You said like earlier in the podcast, you said you're purely focused on influencer. Like there's obviously a lot of creative agencies and media agencies trying to get into influencer. Everybody kind of wants a piece of it because it is sort of more pervasive now. How does that sort of change your approach as being like a pure play influencer agency? Does it add value to your offering or does it change the way that you approach the market at all?
1: Yeah, I think we, it's a great question. I think um, what, what we think about is how our, Real influencer expertise can be additive to other agencies that brands are working with. So, most of our clients were sitting in IAT communities and we're bringing that point of view and expertise around the best way that our client mutually can recognize the value that a creator can bring. And that can be creative value. It can be audience value. And so we work very closely with media teams. We work closely with creative teams. Um, But at the scale that our clients need to be doing influencer marketing today, you need to have infrastructure and know how to be able to execute at those levels. We're talking hundreds, thousands of creators. And what we've seen is that a more traditional creative or social agency doesn't have that infrastructure, um, primarily on the relationship management and the creator expertise side. And so we really evangelize that in our client community. And we're seeing that pay off in really smart, effective partnerships between us as a creator AOR and their media AOR, for
0: example. Mm, That makes sense. So Back in 2020, you were acquired by what was then known as you and Mr. Jones, now the Brand Tech Group. Talk about how that's uh, changed what you're able to do as as a company.
1: Yeah. So I think that was a really great partnership moment and um, moment, I think, for the influencer marketing industry, and that we were one of the first acquisitions um, as an influencer marketing agency. And I think that helped catapult us into a global stage and uh, of our company and has helped us grow significantly. We're up almost 200% since the acquisition. And so we knew that we um, wanted to accelerate our leadership position in North America. And so um, I think what has also changed is access to a group of really smart, technology-oriented Marketing leaders. And that has been really awesome. It can be lonely working kind of in an agency bubble as one, and the ability to really cross pollinate ideas around agency growth, um, industry thought leadership, and have access to a larger global community of marketing leaders has been amazing.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about like what's changed in the influencer space in the past handful of years. there's a new term even for it, right? Creators, there's new, there's new platforms, there's all sorts (laughs) of different, it's becoming, like we said, more uh, central to brand strategy. So what is like the biggest sort of evolution that you've seen in the past couple of years? And and then I guess, what are you expecting to change um, in the next few? Yeah, I think
1: um, this is a great question. A few things. I think one thing we see is that the timeline, so to speak, of cool to cringe is getting shorter and shorter. Mm. And so I think what's really exciting and new and everyone's into it. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, we're not sure that's compressing a little bit. And we're just seeing, I think the appetite and the feedback loops of how people feel about content and audience building on these different platforms is, um, really requiring us and creators to level up and constantly be, um, Reinventing how they're communicating and, and bringing content to audiences. Um, I think the creator talent pool has shifted. So I think with algorithmic feeds, um, you know, leaning towards more specificity and content and focusing more on entertainment as opposed to the user really only seeing who they're electing to follow, I think has changed. And so that's really been... You know something that's been keeping us on our toes with our marketers is like, what's going to work? Because sometimes you might be partnering with a TikTok creator who has 3 million followers, but we're not sure where that content is going to go and who that's going to be exposed to at the end of the day. And that could take off. It could knock at the views that we're looking for. And so I think there's an unpredictability around audience um, exposure to content that both creators and marketers are reckoning with currently. Mm, That's really interesting. Well,
0: follow up on your first point about the like cringe, cool to cringe timeline. Do you think audiences are just fatigued by influencer marketing? Like the the jig is kind of up, right? Like we know influencers are, are selling products. Like, do you think that there's too much saturation or, um, and then how do marketers like deal with that?
1: Yeah. So I don't think that there's too much saturation or that audiences are fatiguing. And the reason I say that is because the data shows us that they're not. The level of engagement, the volume of conversation and comments that we're looking at collectively goes in and looks at every single engagement that happens on every single post that we do for an advertiser. And so we continue to see those um, succeed despite sort of, I think, what might feel a little bit like an oversaturation or, oh, you open your feed and things feel really similar. So we are seeing the success and the actual engagement being rich and being productive. Um, What I do think is happening is that there's so much choice. And again, as as consumers now, the discovery aspect of new creators, I think almost can be a little overwhelming. And so I think that what we're going to see is more intentionality and who people are following. And again, like you just have so many options and there's so much great creativity out there. And so depending on, I think the user and how they're engaging with the platform, why they're engaging with the platform, I think we're going to continue to see even more, but again, there's more of a challenge to break out, to break Mm -hmm. through, to be distinct, but those challenges have always been there, right? Like creators are always looking to differentiate themselves and to have a point of view. And so I think the difference is that there's just so many more creators. yeah, And so we just have more choice. I wouldn't be surprised if more um, curation tools come into the mix um, where we... have opportunities to sort of refine and engage and be a little bit more as a, as a user, like intentional in what we're seeing. Mm. I could see that starting to shift back the other way. Really, that's how it started. It was all user choice. You Mm -hmm. would follow someone, you would get that content. It's completely shifted. And I feel like usually when those shifts happen, they start to edge back a little bit and we see the pendulum swing the other way.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, to your point about sort of like cracking the algorithm, is there... A science to it, or it really is just like, is it just sort of like something hits and you don't really know why? Like, how much can you engineer that?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think it's art and science. When I speak with some creators who are trying to crack the algorithm or really studying it, I hear two things. One, I hear that they're looking not just at their own content, but kind of similar vertical content to see who are, what are people engaging with? They're starting to see which videos tend to have, um, their pattern mapping essentially on like, Oh, interesting. All of the videos that are showing kind of more of a before and after results, those seem to be taking off more. So I'm going to play around with that creative tactic. So they really are looking at the different content feedback loops they have visible to them just by following other creators in their vertical. And then they're experimenting and they're experimenting quickly. Mm. And that's one of the things that I think is so unique about the creator community is they spend more time than most figuring out what works. And so even if we don't know exactly how the brief is going to land, I do really believe that they have more inputs and more information signals that they can respond to for
0: success. And that's going to help a brand be more successful in that feed. Well, to that point, like a lot of um, some of the some of the hesitations that brands have had about working with influencers is that you kind of have to let them take the reins, right? Like they know what works for their yeah. audience. They're the ones who are studying the algorithm. They understand how the platform works. Like are brands getting more comfortable with that? Because brands don't like to give up control. Like it's kind of a, a standard thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. We have continued to see that mindset shift over time. And I think the more we successfully deliver great influencer programming where that right balance of control is met, the more brands get comfortable with that. Um, And so we often see the, you know, instinct to over direct or to be incredibly prescriptive. And that's one of the things that we do is we bring data, we bring creator conversations sometimes directly with the creator. And we bring those together and we say, okay, here are some baseline requirements that have to be hit. But this creator has an amazing idea. And we think that this could actually be an opportunity or an angle on this post that none of us even thought of and is going to work really well for their their audience. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of the art of collaborating with creatives is that um, we have to balance both the control and the creative. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that we're working on all the time with our programming and um, have seen brands get more comfortable with what we call more of a freedom in a framework and giving creators that control back and really respecting their work and their voice, but really being clear on some of just the baseline mandatories that um, are required.
0: Yeah. As creators take more creative control, right, of of brand campaigns, like what do you, how do you see this playing out for the creative agencies? Because they're sort of being disrupted by by these people with iPhones, right? Like, how do you see that yeah. kind of playing out? Yeah, it's a great
1: question. And I have so much respect for the rigor and the discipline of great creative thinking and great creative ideas. I want to see creative agencies work with the creator community to bring them into the process. Mm-hmm. Um, because where I see... Um, an opportunity and what we're doing collectively with our own creative department is really bringing sort of, again, that experience and the rigor of of really strong creative thinking, and then doing that in a way that unlocks ideas with the creator community. Mm -hmm. And we've seen some really great magic happen when we've done that well, where there might be a, a creative territory that we're identifying that has been identified through a more traditional creative process, but we're bringing that territory to creators knowing it's meant for them to play with. And we don't want all of the, you know, say 20 creators on our campaign to have the same story Mm -hmm. that's advertising. If it's the exact same, Mm -hmm. and we're saying, this is what you all need to say. That is more of a push model of saying, here's what we're saying as a brand through this advertising tactic what we want our creators to do is bring their own story into that relationship. And so we really think of creative that way. And I see traditional creative agencies struggling to blend the mediums because it requires a deep understanding of how creators work and think. And I just don't see the um, infrastructure set up to bring those two together to collaborate in the way that those agencies are designed today.
0: Well, I think it requires a lot of like unlearning, right? Like they have to Mm -hmm. sort of like unlearn all of these processes and like these strict, rigorous things that they've really built their, their agencies around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, the medium itself is really different and it's, it can be gritty. It's, you know, like a floating head on a green screen on TikTok talking about something. It's just, I think the medium itself is so different. Yeah. And mystifying, I think, sometimes to like what's going to work. And so it's just really different than a 30 second spot. Well,
0: it's interesting because you hear creatives now talk about like lo-fi creativity and how that's sort of like taking off more than the really polished ads and films. Yeah. So it definitely is a big shift that they're going to have to um, contend with. In terms of brands, obviously brand safety is a huge area of concern on social media brands don't want to you know either whether it's aligning with the wrong talent or somehow getting algorithmically associated with the wrong trend like have those concerns increased in the past year or so especially with like what happened last year with bud light and dylan mulvaney mm-hmm. like how are yeah. brands approaching the, the brand safety aspect of influencer marketing yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I see brands approaching it two ways. One, being much more aware that that risk exists. Um, I think treating it a little bit more like a news cycle in the sense of, okay, is this a small, tiny conversation on one corner of the internet? Or is it going to you know, snowball into a much bigger, more pervasive conversation and brand reputational risk issue? Um, but I also see them having a lot of heart for the creator side of this um, environment and struggling, honestly, to say like, Hey, we want to partner with all these creators, but there is a little bit of risk in that. And we don't want, you know, to have a situation where someone who we are invested in and we, and we believe in, you know, receiving kind of the, um, backlash of the internet. And so it's it's a challenging moment, I think, right now, um, that the internet can really kind of kick off so much vitriol and Um, brands and creators get caught up in that mix.
0: Do brands have a choice? Like they have to invest in creator marketing, right? They have to. Yeah, they have
1: to. And so I think um, there are some basics that we put in place to just make sure that we're making sensible decisions and we're doing, um, you know, vetting on our end and vetting. The creator is also vetting the brand. Um, And we see the vetting go both ways at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, It's important for both brand and creator to feel comfortable that, they, they believe in the brand, they support the brand's point of view, and the brand really supports the creator. And then I think when these things happen, it's important to stand by
0: that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. How is that dynamic shifting as obviously micro influencers, even nano influencers are becoming more effective for brands like these are as I guess, sort of as you go down the chain of celebrity, you're working with more and more sort of like unknown entity, yeah. not necessarily like I mean, celebrities can be pretty risky as well, as we've seen with gay and other people. But (laughs) we've seen over the past few years that it's more effective to work with smaller influencers with smaller followings. Is that sort of still Mm -hmm. the case versus like larger celebrities? Yeah. So we see different
1: success with different tiers. And what we do is we balance the percentage of your influencer plan or your budget within those tiers. So we see our celebrity or our mega talent, still being really effective at reaching a big audience for a pretty low CPE. We see our micro and our nano creators driving extremely strong brand reputation, brand conversation, engagement, purchase intent, even conversion. And so we marry the two and really you should be working across the entire spectrum. And so it's really not an either or. It's really a how are we prioritizing our budget and how are we working with a range of creators that will do different things for our brand. Um, and then I think with respect to brand safety, when we work, we can work with hundreds of micro or nano influencers because they are smaller. Um, the rates for partnering with them are more affordable. And so that, to go back to your original question around risk, mm-hmm. I think we apply very similar vetting criteria against our community. Um, We're looking at feed. We're looking for areas that may not be a brand fit. But realistically, I think there is a little bit more risk that brands can take depending on the way that they're partnering with these creators. Are they just sending them product? Um, Are they actually doing a paid sponsored post? And we evaluate that and make sure that it's
0: feeling right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're at the top of a new year. What are your big Mm -hmm. predictions for influencer marketing in 2024? What are going to be the big platforms, the big trends, the big themes? Yeah,
1: Um, a few things. I think what's not going to happen in 2024 is AI avatars replacing IRL creators. (laughs) Um, I think the savviest IRL creators are going to be experimenting with AI tools that can really expand the potential experiences that their fans can have with them, the quality of the content. Their ideas. Um, I think they're going to be using it to supercharge their own talent. I don't think brands are going to go back to X. I think trust and safety were hard won and now very lost. And I think that de-influencing won't really have an impact on the practice. This happens. This this conversation has been happening since literally 2010. Mm-hmm. Of are we is influencer marketing like has the moment passed? And it's funny to me because. Inherently, we love to know what the people we trust and follow think. We want to know what they think about brands. We rely on them to tell us what they think. It was this originated out of word of mouth marketing and social media gave that a megaphone. And so it's not ever going to stop. I think the way it happens may change. The, The medium may shift. The platform may shift, but it's so inherently linked to human nature Um, that I don't think that de-influencing is going to stop. We are going to be influenced. We will always be influenced. We always have been influenced. It's just how and who Mm. that might change. I think what will happen in 2024, um, I think Gen AI, again, is going to be a major part of creator marketing workflows. Uh, For brands and agencies, I think where we're anticipating that helping us the most is just accelerating how to find the right creators more quickly. Timelines are always under pressure, right? We always want to do things faster. So we're really looking to AI to help us do that, Um, as well as continuing to evaluate the right creator briefs, um, what content is working, and then optimizing our work for paid media. So Something that I'm anticipating happening even more and what's been shifting over the last couple of years is just how successful brands are getting and taking the sponsored content that's being created and putting that out to a broader audience and out to the broader world. And that's because of two things. One, the discipline is getting more mature and we're having more synergies and integrated success between like a creator AOR and a media partner. Mm. So that coming together, I think, is going to help brands see the return and really connect upper funnel to lower funnel creator marketing impact. And that's what we're really seeing happen in our client community. Um, And it continues to validate, I think, the effectiveness overall of the channel.
0: Yeah. I've heard this word, which makes me cringe. (laughs) It's called brand formance. (laughs) And I think that's sort of like what you're talking about though, like being able to do brand advertising that actually like drives sales and you can measure that. Um, do you have any fears about AI colliding with the influencer space? Is there anything you're sort of keeping an eye on warily? You know, I wouldn't say that I have any fears. I,
1: I recognize that it's a disruptor, And I think that my approach has always been to lean into the momentum of where it can be disruptive and positive. Um, Be wary of where it can be negative, but I think it's here and it's going to completely transform exactly how. Again, for us, it will be more on the workflow side. Um, And I think it's going to create way more creative opportunities. Like it's just unlocking a lot of tools for creators to test, experiment,
0: move faster. What what platform should advertisers have their eye on in 2024? Oh, I mean, that's a great question. Um,
1: I mean, I, continue, I know this is going to not be as fun of an answer, but TikTok, <laughs> I mean, it's just it continues to just really be a truly unique platform in the way that brands can communicate and engage with audiences. And then I wouldn't, Forget about Instagram. Mm. I think there's a little bit of a tendency there to focus on TikTok, and we still see so much strong, particularly community oriented messaging, um, purpose oriented messaging land in Instagram. And I do anticipate seeing that continue as well as brands that are really looking to inspire. I think that Instagram continues to be a medium where we still really like looking at very pretty pictures um, and finding inspiration. And so I don't think that that's going to go away because of TikTok. If anything, I think the two platforms are really playing well against each other to
0: um, to
1: do different things. Mm hmm.
0: Mm hmm. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you have a wonderful start to the year.
1: Yeah. Likewise, Allison. This was a lovely conversation. Thank you so
0: much for having me. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to Campaign Chemistry. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and head to CampaignLive.com for all the latest news on advertising and marketing.